The year was 2006. I was 13 years old, and I decided I was going to be the biggest drug dealer in the world. And this is how it all played out. I never forget summer of 06. I was sitting um, in the uh, living room, you know, doing what kids do, whatever I was doing. And my mother came in, and me and I had that type of relationship. We were like, completely open with one another about what was going on in our lives or whatever. She created like that open door policy type of vibe. But she came to me and she told me, you know, with eyes, face red. My, my mother, if you don't know what she looks like, she's like a lighter complected woman. So her face was red and I could tell she had been crying. She told me that, you know, she was just tired of going from check to check, living from check to check, not having much money and having to, depend on working overtime and working herself to death in order to make ends meet. And she just continued to vent to me and she was, you know, teary-eyed and I felt bad. But the only thing in my mind I could think about at the time is not that my mother is venting to me. The only thing I could think about personally was that I was the problem. Um, in my mind, I had formulated this idea that the reason why she was suffering was because I was the problem. She had to feed me. She had to make sure I had clothes and socks and shoes and so on and so forth. So that day in my mind, I decided I was going to give me some money. And I needed a plan. So pretty much the plan was that I was going to uh, start working at first. Um, my idea was I was going to get a lawnmower or use a lawnmower that we already had. And I was going to go around the neighborhood and try to, like, cut people's yards. Well... Honestly, that plan got cut quickly. <laughs> I went to like three or four houses and for, to paint the picture, I live in the country, like the country of the country. And it's not like the country you see with the horses and cows. Well, I guess it kind of is. We do have horses and cows out there, but the houses are more close together. It's like out of city limits for the people who know what I mean. And I went from house to house and, and, and most people in those where I live at least have like an acre of land, two acres of land that they live on. So most people already got lawnmowers. And as I went from home to home, everybody was saying, well, you know, I would need the services. I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. So that was out the window. And then I decided, okay, maybe I'll try to get me a job. I was naive. I didn't know that at the age of 13, I wouldn't be able to get a job anywhere. Shit, it wasn't until I was 16 years old when I was able to get an actual job. But I'll tell you about that later in the story. So I was 13, couldn't get a job. My business idea didn't work. What should I do now? Immediately I thought, drugs. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. What 13-year-old, like after two options, immediately goes to drugs? Well, to paint another picture for you, I grew up surrounded by drugs and, and, and just like, I guess, I don't want to say like bad stuff, but I guess it technically is bad shit. Like, that's the type of shit that I grew up around. Most of my uncles were either drug addicts or either they sold drugs. Um, all my aunts, except like one or two smoke weed or, you know, participated in smoking weed and stuff like that. Uh, all my cousins all smoke weed or just try drugs anyway. So that's all I ever seen anyway. You know, I would come home or on the holidays, it would be nothing for me to see, you know, Family members smoking weed under the tree, just talking, shooting the shit, drinking beers and stuff like that. So that was my environment. Like I said, 
A good majority of my family hustled. A good majority of my family used. And even the users started out as hustlers. So that was kind of like a thing in, in my environment. So I went straight to drugs. And most of the people that I looked to, up to in my family at the time, most of them were drug dealers as well. So I had, you know, it made sense for me to go and try to do that. But again, I had no money. I was broke. So I needed a plan to give me some money. And this is what I came up with. So the idea was get enough money so I can get an ounce. Once I got an ounce, I can work my way up all the way until I got a whole pound. Like keep flipping it, keep reinvesting my money, flipping, reinvesting my money, flipping. But at the time, I needed a, I needed some money. So I decided to reach out to my brother Rico. No, and at the time he didn't know that he was fronting my future drug operation at all. And I don't think he still knows to this day. He'll probably find out when he listens to this podcast. I'm sorry, bro. But he didn't know he was from my drug operation. But I told him, like, hey, I pulled this is what I did. I was so manipulative at that time. I pulled at his heartstrings. <laughs> he was interested in business, still is to this day. He owns his own trucking business. And I knew that if I came to him with this business proposal and this idea that I want to start a business, he would be 100% without a doubt all on board for me, you know, starting that, uh, starting that business. So I came to him saying I wanted to start selling candy, but I had no money. He said, okay, cool. I can either give you the money, I can go buy the candy for you and invest in your product. I pretty much told him, okay. i never forget sitting in in his face in the den, just, you know, discussing with him what I wanted to do and my dreams about selling candy and how I would go about it and how I would find my, my you know, my audience and how I would market it. And the, just the look on his face of, like, you know, happiness that his little brother was trying to do something different outside of what the other family was doing. I was not trying to do anything different. I had a plan. So I started, he got me, ended up giving me the candy from the from Sam's Club. A big variety bag of candy is what he gave me. And it was filled with like chocolates and stuff like that. And I knew what I was going to do. I was going to take each little mini size, like, you know, Kit Kat, Three Musketeers, Snickers, all the little, little you know, variety pack of uh, candies. I was going to sell them a quarter a piece. And that's what I did. You know, and it took me a while, if I'm being honest. It took me like almost like a month or two to sell that shit. But I finally got it all off, selling it at a quarter a piece, selling the candy. And I think I ended up with like $40, but that still wasn't enough to get, get my ounce. So I decided not to go back to my brother and ask for another bag. I went and took that money and reinvested in my own, you know, more candy. And that's what, exactly what I did. I started back, you know, selling candy and stuff. I started reselling that candy. Went back and bought my own from that point. And I ended up making another $40 after spending $20 on candy. So at that point, I had like $60, and that was enough to give me an ounce at the time. Now, again, remember, I was surrounded by drugs, so I knew who had drugs, and I knew who would do what. So I reached out to one of my cousins. I asked him, like, hey, can you, you know, give me some weed or whatever? I need an ounce. He was like, of course. What are you doing with it? You planning on smoking it? Like, you smoking weed now? Well, I had already tried weed by the time I was 13, but I wasn't, like, actively smoking weed. So, you know... I just pretty much told him, like, and he knew I had already started smoking weed or at least tried it at that point. And I told him, yeah, I just want to have enough to, like, you know, chill on so I won't have to keep on going back and forth. He's like, all right, cool. I said, I got $60. So he gave me 28 grams. And that's when I had my first sack. All right, so I had this thing of weed, and I knew that I needed to, 
to do something with this weed. I knew I needed to sell it. I knew I needed to get it off. But I was thinking to myself, okay, you got to sell it. You know you need to sell it. But how do you go about selling it? All of my friends smoke weed at the time for the most part. And, you know, if they seen me, I was pretty much, I was one of the leaders of my friends. So if they seen me selling weed, of course they would buy it from me. So that was easy. But it's like, how are you going to like, store this, where are you going to put it at, so on and so forth. At the time, an ounce to me was a lot of weed, you know, and I'm like, where am I going to store this and put this at? I needed a partner. So I reached out to my next door neighbor, which is also my cousin. His name was DG. I said, you'll be my partner. This is what we're about to do. He was like, all right, cool. He was no stranger to drugs as well, you know. Like I said, we all come from the same family, so we all experienced that shit. And that shit was like a, honestly, thinking back, a burden on our lives. It was like some bullshit that was placed on us in the beginning, which led to all of us later on down the line either using drugs early on. Actually, we was already smoking weed and stuff, either using it or either selling it, being exposed to it. But regardless, got the weed. Me and him divided it up. I took a half ounce. He took a half ounce. I told him I'd give him, give him uh, $20 off of it. And the reality was, reality was at the time, I didn't know how to weigh weed up. I knew how, like, you know, when I seen people pull weed out and roll it up, I knew how much that was. So I was doing what they call eyeballing the weed because I knew nothing about scales and I knew nothing about measurements or any of that shit. So I just started eyeballing and giving, to, giving it to my friends. Luckily, I wasn't trying to be too generous. And luckily, my friends was willing to take, I won't say it's out of fear, but out of respect for me, they was willing to take like a smaller amount of weed because it was me. And plus, we live, like I said, out of city limits. So having to drive all the way across town to get weed was a hassle anyway, so you might as well just get it from me. So, of course, I was taking a little weed, eyeballing it, and DG was doing the same thing. Off of 28 grams, we ended up <laughs> we ended up making like almost like $180 off of the weed or something like that. That just shows how like small our blunts was. <laughs> but because <laughs> on average, and oh, yeah, let me paint the picture for you for people who not, the numbers not numbering. Um, this was before people were smoking loud. So we weren't really smoking loud and shit like that back then. This was back when you can get a blunt for $4. You know, you get a, a $4 blunt and you need that dollar that you left over or go to the cigar, you know, or most times people give you $5 blunts if you're lucky. You know, if you want a sack, it'd be $10. So that was in these times. It was before the loud and all of that shit. But anyway, <clears throat> We got the, we uh we was eyeballing the weed, we ended up making $180 off of the shit. Or maybe like $160. Some, it was $160, $180, somewhere around there. Definitely over $150 we made of it. I thought I was rich. <laughs> I had never seen that much money in my hand at one point at a time. So I was like, okay, cool. I pieced my cousin off some money. And at that point, I had already kind of learned the system because we, we were, we ended up, all right, we did that. And then we ended up continuously going back probably about four or five more times. And at this point, my cousin is thinking like, damn, like, you like an active smoker. You coming to me like every other week getting an ounce. You smoking an ounce every two weeks. Like, do you smoke that much? And I just went ahead and told him the truth. Like, no, nah, bro, we selling this. Like, this is what we got going. And he was like, oh, shit, this makes sense. Now, he was cool and he was like, you know, at some point, you got to, if you're going to hustle, you got to uh, do it the right way. Like, what you doing? Like, and he was like trying to break it down, ask me like what was going on, how was I how was I measuring it, and so on and so forth. And I told him I was eyeballing it. And he, he let out the biggest laugh. He was like, dude, you've been eyeballing weed. How the fuck do you even know the right measurements? You either giving people too much or not enough. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I'll show you something. 
So he pulled out a manual scale. It was like a keychain type manual scale. And he showed me how to <laughs> he showed me how to use a manual scale to wear out my blunts. And that's that's pretty much what I started using, like a manual scale from that point, and to wear out my blunts. And it actually went until later when I got me a digital scale that shit was really going on. But that's when I started working with more weed. But I was using the manual scale, sacking up blunts, doing it just like that or whatever. And I had worked my way up. And by that point, I had kind of like let DG go because he was more interested in smoking than he was in selling. So I had to let him go. And I was like, okay, I'm working with like three or $400 at the time. And I'm rearing up off an ounce like every week at this point because everybody, you know, in my little circle and people around know me for selling weed. So it was smooth. So I'm rearing up and I got too like lax with my shit and my mama ended up catching me <laughs> now mind you i had been selling weed at this point for probably about a year and um i was just super lax i was leaving weed out she would never have thought a baby boy was dealing with weed anyway at that point i had not smoked anything you know i wasn't smoking i wasn't doing none of that so i never smelled like weed so on and so forth and i just got super lax and one day when she was off work she went in my room she found my weed. I never forget the look on her face. She was so upset, so disappointed. Not her baby boy. You gotta keep in mind, I'm the baby baby. Like I'm, I'm the baby baby. Like all of my brothers. When I say the baby baby, I mean this. All of my brothers, the one that's closest to me, is twelve years older than me. So after that is 12 years, my brother next to that is 15 years older than me, my brother next to that is 19 years older than me, and my brother next to that is 21 years older than me. So all of them were like a good piece older than me. So I'm the baby baby, and she was just so disappointed. She got on the phone with my brother at the time, the Rico, my brother Rico. He was cussing me out. He was upset. Mind you, he doesn't cuss me out. To this day, he still won't cuss me out. He still won't get loud to me. I'm, I'm like his son almost. But he was cussing at me and stuff like that, and of course... Me being an asshole I was, I was yelling back, saying, you don't know what's going on here. We need money, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, um, she ended up taking all my money and taking all my weed. And at the time, I was like 14. I was in high school at this time as well. Um, and she took all my weed, and pretty much I was back to square one. <laughs> so I was in the ninth grade, and I was turning 15 at December. And I wasn't selling weed anymore up until this point. But I wanted to, and I knew I couldn't go back and start selling candy again to build my sack up. And at this point, Mama was really watching me, like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And, you know, the questions started to pile up because I was no longer just her little sweet, innocent boy. She knew I would do some shit, <laughs> which I think she always knew that I would be. I was always, like, a fighter. Like, I used to fight all the time with my cousins and shit and, like, people, little kids around the block or whatever. But I never, I, I she never seen me to be one to do, like, criminal shit. So... Pretty much, she was keeping an eye on me. She had the fucking clamps on my ass, watching me every step of the way. And I knew I had to formulate a plan. So my plan was, all right, I need a job, and I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to stack up enough money at this job to, um, <clears throat> to I'm going to stack up enough money at this job to go back and start hustling again to give me some money. But this time, I'm going to hustle smarter so my mom won't catch me. Okay? That was the plan. I turned 15 in December. But the reality was nobody at that time in Bolivar, or I don't even think they are to this day, nobody's hiring 15-year-olds, you know. And it wasn't 
work was limited where I'm from. Like it's like a smaller town and nobody was really hiring 15 year olds. So I was like, all right, what do I do? But I knew my aunt, one of my favorite aunts, her name was Rhonda. She was living in Jackson at the time. I knew I could go there and work because they were hire 15 year olds. There was jobs everywhere in Jackson at the time for uh, teenagers. I knew I could go there, work, stack up my money and then come back. But the problem was I was in school, so I had to wait the summer. So that next school, half of the school year, I was, you know, kind of like dropping little eggs to my aunt and to my mom. Like, hey, I want to come live. I want to come live there. And plus, I was kind of acting out at the time, too. And honestly, mama kind of needed a break from me. You know, I was frustrated because I was broken. I hadn't been broken in like, you know, two, three years. So I would catch attitudes and just be an asshole and kind of like, you know, getting a little bit more fights here and there and just being a little bit like, like very reckless, you know, to say the least. So mama was kind of ready to get me down there to get a break for the summer. And that's pretty much what I did. I went down there. Now, at the time, my aunt stayed in the hood, or at least the hood part of Jackson. It's the east side of Jackson. So she was there. And immediately when I got there, I knew shit was different. Like, we had crime back home. You know, I participated in a lot of crime back home up until that point as well. And I seen a lot of crime. But this was crime on a larger scale. You know, it was more people, so of course it would be crime on a larger scale. So I was introduced to a lot of different people. I seen dope boys, more of them that way, kind of moving a little different. People who hustled, hustlers, they was moving a little different. So I was like soaking up game as I was doing it, as I was living there, I mean. And I ended up getting me a job at Sonic. That was my first job. I got me a job at Sonic and I was working there and I put up all my checks because my aunt never really you know, made me pay for anything, anything like that. You know, she took care of me. I was pretty much like one of her children, so she was always smooth with that. Like, so, and it was me and her three other kids as well. So we was all living there like family. I was not like family, like brothers and sisters, you know, and I enjoyed it. And But, you know, again, being exposed to all that criminal element, all of that shit, that kind of, that the different, like, criminal elements, you know, you got to, like, I, this was the first time I ever seen Somebody get robbed there. So, yeah, like, like in person, like an armed robbery. I mean, my cousin was walking up the hill to a store at the top of the hill. And my cousin, he was already, like, adept to this type of stuff, but I wasn't. And I remember walking up the hill, and he grabbed me in my chest, like, hey, stand back. I was like, what? You know, and he said, look. And we seen a guy running in the store with a gun in his hand. He put the gun to the cashier's face, got the money, and he was running out. I was like, oh, shit. And we was probably like 20 feet away from this dude. And that was my first time seeing somebody get robbed. So it was a lot of different elements. It was jack boys. It was hustlers. It was all these different type of elements. So I was exposed to different shit, and I was just soaking up game. Okay? I got my money. The summer was over with, and I had an option. At the time, my aunt would have let me stay with her, or I could move back to Baltimore. I knew I was going back home, and that's exactly what I did. Okay, now I'm back home. I'm back home, and I got a couple hundred dollars in my pocket, and I'm ready to get back to hustling. But I knew I couldn't go to my my uh, cousin anymore and get weed from him because he wasn't hustling anymore. He wasn't dealing with that. And to be honest, he didn't have as much weight as I needed. I had enough money at this point to get what they call a QP, which is a quarter pound of weed. So I said, all right, I can't go back with my cousin because he don't have enough weight and he don't and and he's really not hustling as much. But I did have a new plug. For the sake of this, I don't want to say his name. Let's just call this plug B. 
So B, me and him, we were real close. He was like my OG. He was like eight years older than me. Like my OG, I looked up to him 100%. You know, he guided me through a lot of shit and he taught me a lot up until this point. Just like man shit. And B was, uh, he had been hustling for a long time at this point. And I knew that I could go ahead and, you know, reach out to him and let him know that I wanted to hustle, or so I thought. Immediately when I contacted him, let him know that I wanted a QP, he was like, fuck no. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I want to hustle. And he was like, nah, bro, like, you know, we family. Like, I can't have you out here hustling like that. And plus, your brother then will kill me. And I told him, like, don't worry about that. I got all that handled. I already been hustling for a minute anyway. You just didn't know. I've been kind of doing it on the radar, selling all my friends around here. I'm going to be smart with it. Trust me, I'm good. So B decided to reach out to one of my other brothers and ask, should he do it? That brother said, hell yeah, go ahead and give him a chance. He been around here calling himself selling weed anyway, so fuck with him. So B did. I had a QP, which is four ounces of weed. And at the time, I paid $250 for, for the QP. I was excited. I was happy. That was the most weed I had ever seen at one point. And I knew it was time to go ahead and get my money. Now, mind you, at the, at the time, I'm 15, but I'm getting ready to turn 16 at December. So a lot of things are happening for me in the moment. I'm able to get a job now in Bolivar because I'm 16, and they had places like McDonald's and Burger King and shit like that that would hire 16-year-olds. years, 16 year olds. So I knew it was time for me to go ahead and, you know, get right. I, and I, I and the reason why a job is significant in all of this is because I know I can hide the money that I'm getting from my mother at this point. Because a lot of the shit that she, the reason why she called me is not mainly because mainly because I was lax, but a big reason was I wasn't asking for money anymore. Money for snacks at school, money for nothing. So she's like, why is this man not asking for money? <laughs> you know? And... Like I said, I knew being 16, I could give me a job. There would be a cover-up for, for the money I was making. And I also knew that um, I'd be able to start driving. And if I'm mobile, now I can expand my business to more than just people in my little neighborhood at the time. So I decided, I, I, I went ahead and started hustling, and I started getting my money. You know, the four ounces was gone in like four days. And I never forget coming back to my cousin needing another four ounces. And he was like, where are you? Or my, my partner B, I mean, my cousin. He was my cousin as well. I never forget going back to him saying like, hey, you know, I need another four ounces. And he was like, where, where the fuck are you selling this? How are you selling this this fast? Like, you know, I know dudes around here that's twice your age hustling and they not selling like four ounces in, in like three days or four days or whatever. How are you getting this weed off like this? I said, nah, I told you I've been doing this for a while. So my clientele was already built up. So he was a little skeptical. So that's when he came to me and was like, what, let me see your operation. What's going on? And he sat me down and he kind of like worked me through a lot of this shit. He was like, you use a manual scale, you use a digital scale right here. And he introduced me to the digital scale. You know, you take the styrofoam cup, measure the styrofoam cup, put the weed in the cup, and then whatever the measurement of the styrofoam cup was, you subtract it from the weed. That way you can weigh larger quantities of weed at the time. Because if you don't know what a digital scale look like, it's like a small square. He put me up on game like that. He put me up on how to hide my shit, how to hustle. And he kind of introduced me to a new level of hustling and like kind of put me to that next level of hustling. So it was on. And I was doing good and everything was going well. But I had made my my sack like my 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 funds. I, I built it up to about 
sixteen hundred at the time. I was making, I had made like sixteen hundred, like in my stash, and I was like, okay, sixteen hundred is a good amount, but I know if I like diversify my business, meaning like I go to other avenues of income, I can get even more money. And he was like, and and, and I introduced, I told that to my cousin. He was like, listen, this is what I do. I sell weed, I sell pills, but I don't really participate in nothing else. And it's like a light bulb, pills. I never knew. I had always been introduced to pills, and I knew that pills would be, you know, uh, pills was good because to me, like I like, I knew the high from pills was good is what I'm trying to say because I was cavity prone, so I would get a lot of root canals, and they would give me 7.5 hydros, and them things made me feel good. So I knew that pills were a good high, and a lot of people was using them. So I knew that would be my new avenue. But the problem is now, how do I get a plug? Like, in my life, I really was big on manifesting all the time, right? And I knew if I asked for it, it would come to me. It always did, especially when it was something negative. If it's something that, like, if I'm like, I won't smoke with them dudes, I don't like them dudes, eventually I was going to run into them and it was going to be an issue. If I said I wanted this amount, of, this amount of drugs, this, that, I was going to get that shit every time. That's just the nature of, like, what was going on in my life. Anything negative that I manifested, even to this day, that shit always come back to me. So, I knew I needed a plug on the pill, so I kind of, like, manifested it. Just like that, one of my cousins who was incarcerated at the time, he was in prison. He hit me up one day saying, like, hey, you get money out there? And I'm like, yeah. He was like, well, I can help you get some more money. Like, oh, okay. You know, like, cool. Now, to can't paint a backstory for this, my cousin wasn't just, like, a person who just randomly called me. My mom was, like, the leader of the family. So a lot of people who was in prison or in jail or got incarcerated, they would always call my mother's house. And, you know, hear me in the background. I was like, oh, there's little Terry over there. Like, let me speak to him. And they'll talk to me and shit like that. So me and him had already established a relationship. He was calling me, conversing with me. He said he had a plug on the pills. Now, he was locked up in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, I think. So he was telling me he had a plug on the pills. I was like, all right, cool. He gave me a plug. He gave me the plug on the pills, introduced me to the plug. And I was getting, the dude had all types of pills. Honestly, yeah, like the Xanax. This was when Xanax, people was taking the, like, blue football Xanax, a little smaller Xanax. He had, like, Oxy, he had Hydro, he had all this shit, you know. And I said, cool, like, I'll take it, and what do you want from me? Like, how much it's going to cost or whatever. So he was like, you know, just sell it and give me a portion of it so I can have money on my books and have money to, you know, move around while I'm in prison. I'm like, all right, perfect. So that's exactly what I was doing. I was getting the shit for free. You know, the guy who was giving it to me, I don't know what type of deal they had, but he was giving me this shit for free. And <laughs> it was a sweet deal because it was no overhead. I didn't have to invest in anything. At least in the beginning, I think towards the end, I started paying like half price for all my shit. But still, it was a great profit, like a huge profit margin. So I was hustling that. Now, at this point, I had built my sack up with the pills, introducing the pills to like $3,000. And shit was going smooth. And I was enjoying it. <laughs> like real deal enjoying this shit. And and just the money. At this point I'm having pizza part. I'm having like pizza with my friends. Like I'm having like big bonfires and barbecues. Uh if I can find it, I'm gonna insert it in here one of our one of our mini barbecues where we had where I had my camcord. I'm gonna try to insert it in here uh, in this video right in this piece right here. Oh, 
I was having barbecues and pizza parties. We was going to Pizza Hut and I was buying pizza for everybody. Like, I had women, you know, and everything was smooth. I was just having fun, you know what I mean? But I didn't have a car at this time. I needed a car. I ended up uh, thinking to myself, like, all right, I got a few thousand dollars. I can go buy this car myself. But if I buy this car, mama going to know I'm hustling again. So I was racking my brain trying to figure out what should I do, what should I do. So I knew I needed to contact my father, you know, or I didn't know, but I thought in my mind, I need to contact my father. If I convince him to act like he gave me $1,500 to get a car, then my mama will believe it. So I reached out to him and said, hey, like pretend like you're going to give me $1,500. We can count it towards the child support and everything. Pretend like you're going to give me the money. And when you give me, when you give me the money, you know, we can, like I said, count it towards child support, and I'm going to go get me a car with it. My daddy was cool. Like We really didn't have that relationship like that early on, but at this point, I'm like, 15, 16 years old, so I knew that he would do it for me. And he was like, yeah, like, I can do that, but you got some money that's coming soon anyway. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the child support office notified me that you got some money coming soon. I'm like, where, where is it coming from? And he told me the money that I had coming was from where he got an injury at his job, and he ended up getting, like, back-time disability or whatever, and I had, like, $10,000 coming. Perfect. So now I was going to be able to keep my hustling money and I was going to be able to give me a car. So I went to my mother and let her know, like, you know, what my dad had told me. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know, I got a letter saying that the money should be coming soon. I'm like, I need a car, ma. And yeah, like I said, at this point, I was 16. I had I already had my permit. I already had my license. So I'm like, I need a car. She was like, okay, cool. I'm going to get you a car. We'll work it out. I got me a 91 Buick LeSabre. Love that car. You can ask anybody from where I'm from. I used to keep that fucking car clean inside and out. I had the white wall tires. All of that shit was perfect. And the like the cherry on top, and shit was so smooth about it. What it what helped is I had that thirteen, not the, the three thousand dollars left over, <clears throat> and I was able to take five hundred of that and put a put a quarter top on the car. So I had a ninety one Buick LeSabre. White on the outside, blue on the inside, and I ended up putting like a vinyl blue top at the top of. I miss that car to this day. One of the cleanest cars I ever had. Like I miss it to this day. So many memories in that car. For the people who know, they know about that Buick. But <clears throat> I got the car, and shit was on at this point. You know, I'm making good money. I'm bringing money in. We still now, shit. We having pizza parties and shit, doing a little barbecues and all of that. We doing that like shit at least once a month, just celebrating. Shit was perfect. Life. Life was good. And I was extremely happy. I like, I couldn't, I felt good. I'm like, you know, this is the life. I had never had none in my life. I was able to buy like the little colorful polo shirts and all of that shit. It just felt good, you know. It felt good not being broke. Being able to make my own money and not having to depend on nobody. But again, I knew I needed to get a cover up. And I had to stay focused. So I knew I needed to cover up and I had to stay focused. So the idea was I'm going to work at McDonald's and that's the way I'm going to, you know, pretend like I'm, I'm getting my money or whatever from McDonald's. 
So I applied for McDonald's, and at the time, I had a couple friends. One of the people is Roscoe. You may know him from uh, being my old co-host on the show. He plugged Roscoe and my other cousin. My cousin, uh, his name was Eric Davis. They plugged me in at McDonald's and got me the job. So I got the job, and <laughs> it was it was horrible. I hated it. But the good thing about it is a lot of the product that I had from the pills to the uh, weed and shit like that, I was able to get out to a lot of McDonald's employees because everybody in McDonald's at the time was either getting high, uh, either getting high off weed or getting high off pills. So that was a perfect, you know, perfect situation for me to do what I needed to do. <clears throat> so I'm in McDonald's hustling and I'm working. So I'm making money while I'm making money and shit is smooth. But I knew that that nine to five shit really wasn't for me. And I was no longer interested in like, you know, doing that type of BS anymore. So I said, fuck it. This is what's about to happen. I'm about to quit this fucking job. <laughs> I don't care if mama catch me at this point. I'm just going to get caught. I'm just going to be out here, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm hustling. Like, so fuck it. I'm not, you know, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm not dealing with this nine to five. Listen to these white folks in here telling me what to do, fussing at me about the way I'm flipping a fucking burger or rolling up a fucking, um, rolling up a burrito or whatever the case may be. Because you remember McDonald's had like little wraps. I'm not listening to that shit anymore. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, fuck them. I decided to quit. And I continued to hustle, and I'm like, if I get caught, I get caught. You know, it is what it is. And I'm hustling at the time, and I definitely got caught. <laughs> so, yeah, mama ended up catching me again. You know, she ended up at this time, I think she found like seven. We was getting ready for a barbecue, and she found $700 on my bed. Um, uh, she found, yeah, like $700 on my bed, and I think she found like probably like six ounces of weed or some shit like that. And... I never forget it. The look on her face when she found the drugs and the money. And she said, Baby, I'm tired. You know, I don't want you to be like, you know, my brothers or like your cousins and stuff like that. I don't want you out here hustling. Like, you can live a better life. You can go to school. You can make something out of yourself. You can be whatever you want. She said, You can be whatever you want. And she said, I feel like I'm failing you as a mother. I feel like I'm, I didn't do what I'm supposed to do. I made you feel like you had to get out here and sell drugs in order to get some, get some money because I shared too much with you. I shared what I was going through, trying to vent to you, but that was too much for you to handle as a kid. And you would think a mom saying, like, I'm disappointed that you would stop something, but... It didn't stop shit. <laughs> I increased my hustle, man. I got out here and I started really hustling hard. Then I started sending my young ones. I started sending them in people's houses, like taking guns and shit like that. That one is the one that I'm not proud of. I started sending them in people's houses, getting guns. Because, like, we always, they was already breaking their houses and doing that shit like that. I never participated in that for real. Well, I did once or twice, but that wasn't, like, my, that wasn't my stilo. Like, that wasn't my shit, though. So I had to go. A different route and hustle. But I'm like, y'all going in these people's houses looking for money and shit. Fuck the money, get the guns. We can get the guns and we can sell them. Bring them in and I sell them and that's what they did. And we hit this one dude like for so many fucking guns. He I don't know what he was planning, but he was starting some he was finna go to war or some shit. But we hit him for like no exaggeration, probably a hundred guns. 
It was so many guns, I'll never forget. My brother went to the car and seen the fucking guns in the car because my mama had like a little green, uh, I think it was an Escort, like a little green car out in the yard, but it didn't work. She always kept a car. She couldn't drive. She always kept a car, but the car didn't work. It was, she kept a car, but this specific car had ended up like fucking up and it didn't work. And she uh, <laughs> she had it under the tree outside and I was just, you know, throw my guns and shit, hide them under towels and all that shit in the car. And he went out there just one day randomly and looked in the trunk and seen all the guns. And he had to come have a talk with me. Now, mind you, this is the brother that when, you know, the dude who showed me how to hustle in the beginning, B, went, this is the brother that said, yeah, let him hustle. But so, you know, he really didn't give a fuck about my inner workings and what I was doing. He was just like, I'm going to let him do him, you know. But he seen all them fucking guns. He had to come have a talk with me and be like, hey, bro, what the hell is going on, you know. And I just told him, don't worry about it. We just hustling them guns. I'm going to have them gone soon. And that shit was short-lived, the gun shit. Like, you know, I was playing a dangerous game at that point and really finna give myself some time fucking around with stolen guns and shit like that. So that shit was short-lived. The pills actually only lasted like another two years as well, but I always went back to my roots, which was weed, selling weed and doing that. And, you know, I wasn't finna stop hustling. Like I had made too much money at this point. I was doing too much. I was able to buy the things I wanted. I didn't have to depend on anybody, you know. And another thing is I was always smart. I always was in honors classes. I played sports. I played football. So I was like a well-rounded kid. It's just my circumstances. I needed money. And to me, hustling wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad thing. It was just this is what we done. This is what I always seen my family do. I just needed money, period. It wasn't no, no more, no less. You know, I just needed money. So... To me, in my mind, I wasn't hurting anybody, you know, and that's why I stopped doing the guns because, like, it was a dangerous game, but also stealing from people. And that wasn't, like, what my code and what I went by. Granted, I made money from it, and I, I still, to this day, don't feel great about that, or I'm not bragging about that. But, you know, hustling, selling weed, selling pills, stuff like that, you know, it was just like, to me, it was nothing. It was just what I did. It was just what everybody was doing. You know, everybody I had seen my entire life is what they did. But I knew that from hustling for so long at this point, you know, start my journey at 13, all the way now at this point being like 17, I knew this shit wasn't going to pan out because, like I said, I was smart. I was in school. I worked, you know, hard on my studies and all of that. I studied. You know, I was big in, in academics, you know, and I knew that shit wasn't going to work. I was reading about these people in these books who was – you know, millionaires and billionaires and had so much money, so much wealth, you know, and had accumulated it over the course of 10 years. And I'm thinking like, all right, I'm 13. I was, well, I was 13 and now I'm 17. That's four years. It's people that done built multi-million dollar companies in four years. And here I am with maybe at this point, like $4,000, you know, and money in my pocket, but no real, you know, nothing to show for. Like not, definitely not millions. So I was riding home one night and I can remember like thinking just hard to myself, listening to music, riding on the back roads. Like I was fucked up too. I was drunk and high, like just out of my mind. I was riding on the back road, headed home from, you know, hanging out with my friends. And I remember getting out of the car, stumbling out of my car. Don't drink and drive, by the way. <laughs> I remember getting out of my car. Stumbling out of my car, 
looking up at the sky, the stars, and saying to myself, like, I'm never going to make a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred million dollars hustling. It's just not going to work that way, especially not in this small town. And the first thing that popped in my head was college. And I knew I needed to go to school. Now, up until that point, I had never thought about going to school. I had never thought about it. And, you know, I was like, nah, I'm going to get out and I'm going to just hustle. I'm going to be the biggest drug dealer in the world. That's what I always set out to be. That's what I wanted to be. But, so school was never on my in my idea. But my brother went to school. One that was closest to me, he, was, uh, he attended Middle, Middle Tennessee State University. So I knew, like, you know, I need to do something. I need to make a change. So I said, I'm going to go to school. You know, looking at the stars, I said, that's what I'm about to do. I'm going to college. And I started preaching that shit to all my friends around me and all my guys. And some of them was like, fuck it. But the few that was like, yeah. I was like, bro, we're going to college. We need to go to college. Like, let's go to MTSU. We're going to do that. And a lot of them was in agreement. One of those people, Guy Rissadeh, was a boy. Lavoy, he ended up being my roommate in college. And, you know, he's uh, passed away now, but he ended up being my roommate in college, and we decided we was going to go to school together, you know, and make that happen, and that's what we did. <laughs> you know, and I hustled a little bit once I got to school. I won't lie. Like, it was old habits really do die hard. But after a while, like, I ended up joining the military. I ended up having some of the best fun of my life, being able to experience new shit. And right here as I stand now, you can't pay me to get out here and start trying to be like this street guy, hustle, do any of that. Because I got the knowledge now, I got the tools. I understand that it's more to life. I understand that there's different avenues to make money. You know, and here I am. I got a podcast and I'm speaking to y'all right now. And it was a lot of ups and downs. And of course, I need the whole day to tell the full story, but the full, full story, but man, I'm so appreciative of my life up until this point. Uh, listen, if you're watching right now, if you're still watching up until this point, that means you're a loyal, loyal, loyal child by T supporter. I need you to go get the merch. I need you to go get the merch. Go get the merch. Go get the merch. It's available at www.childbytpodcast.com. Again, that's www.childbytpodcast.com. Also, also, I need you to like, share, comment, send this to everybody you know, send it to all the people around, let them know. Again, thank you. This is the Child by T Podcast, where we get real, raw, authentic conversations. Until next time.